everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Theme Park Sandbox, episode two. Episode two. If you yeah. haven't already, please check out our first episode where Drew and I reimagined the classic Autopia attraction. You know, Aaron, it's no question that 2020 has definitely disrupted a lot of construction uh, projects that have been going on in all the resorts uh, globally. Uh, and I'm particularly yeah. excited about one that we've been waiting on for so long uh, here in my backyard, and that is mm -hmm. Avengers Campus at DCA. Uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, yeah. for those of you who don't know, Avengers Campus is actually based in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and actually took place uh, in the old land that used to be called A Bug's Land. DCA recently did another retheme, just like right around the corner on Pixar Pier. That used to all be uh, completely un-Pixar'd and really un-IP'd in a significant way. And yeah. they just sort of brought in the Toy Story elements and then just sort of started sprinkling in all the other Pixar goodness. So for this week's episode, we're going to be basically doing the same thing that the Imagineers did with Bugs Land. And we're going to be re-theming an existing land. And uh, I'm excited to see what pitch you have, Aaron. Now, uh, for some of the <laughs> guidelines that we've come up with, uh, we decided we need to have some sort of descriptive theming, a cornerstone attraction, a restaurant, which will be very interesting because I don't feel like a lot of people really pay attention to restaurant theming, uh, and then one additional experience. So let's see what we can come up with. Yeah. Okay, so like... If we were doing a Bugs Land into Avengers, I mean, what they came up with was basically, uh, you know, theming that kind of looks like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They've got the uh, the Hank Pym restaurant. I forget what it's called. The the kitchen, experimental kitchen. I don't know. It's all the giant foods. Right. Uh, they've got the Spider-Man attraction as like their cornerstone, at least for the time being, their cornerstone. Um, they've got that cool Doctor Strange stage show that I think is going to be like a a magical wizard kind of, uh, yeah. I don't know, almost like I'm, I'm imagining that it'll kind of be like the Jedi Academy. Interesting. Uh, that I mean, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's true. We don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we don't know. Um, but man, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for that land as well. And I was really excited to get into retheming, you know, any land and kind of giving it that new spin, taking it from maybe an outdated look, something that's a little bit worse for wear, and giving Definitely. it a fresh coat of paint, uh, a fresh coat of IP paint in a lot of situations. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely well, a challenge that a lot of Imagineers have is how do you take something that's existing and either bulldoze it and build something new or take what's mm -hmm. there and use the bones to make something really great. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that was one of the things that I was challenged with was what to keep and what to, in my imagination, just completely flatten. You know, right. what were the experiences that me personally, that I couldn't live without, that I felt like guests would uh, would riot over without? <laughs> and what right. was like, nah, that's that's not important. Um, we can we can just start from from a clean page. I went first last week, so Drew, I am going to ask that you give your pitch first. Awesome. I can't wait to hear what you came up with. Yeah, I will say this is probably, uh, this was a pretty difficult challenge because it's not like we're just, you know, making adjustments to one attraction or one ride. It's like an entire land, right? So first of all, mm -hmm. the hardest thing is deciding, you know, which land do you want to, you know, give the axe to? And that was definitely the <laughs> hardest thing. And I probably chose the hardest land, um, uh -oh. Tomorrowland. At Disneyland. Yeah. 
it's uh, it, it was it was hard, and I definitely had to think about it. But uh, I think I came up with something really great. So uh, here's what I have so far. Uh, I was watching a lot of movies the other day, and there was one movie that stuck out to me uh, that really, really fits the future of what I'd like to see Tomorrowland to be. And that movie is Wally. So uh-huh. bet you didn't see that coming. Yeah, Wally. So. Um, Basically, my idea for theming uh, and, and reskinning Tomorrowland is I'm taking the approach of like, let's work with what bones we have there and make them work mm-hmm. uh, for this new theme. So essentially what I have is what I've named Tomorrowland presented by BNL, which Excellent. I think is pretty yep. great because it's a fictional uh, company that is presenting a Tomorrowland, because we're so used to seeing things like, you know, Autopia presented by Honda, things like that. So I thought it was really, really cool storytelling to have it be sponsored by and presented by BNL. Or if you watched our first episode, Autopia sponsored by Stark Industries. That's right. That's right. I think (laughs) you definitely won that pitch. I I definitely (laughs) like that idea. And I'm still super jealous that I didn't think of it first. Um, Uh But... Anyway, to go back into well, kind you, of... You can have it. You can have it for, for your new Tomorrowland. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It definitely lives in this new Tomorrowland that I've created. Um, and so my, for my descriptive theming, uh, some of the n- notes that I wrote was um, everything is very glossy white and very deep in clear coat, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and kind of an apple uh, design. So kind of like um, yeah. Eve. Just think of Eve, the character from Wally. She's like the perfect design idea that I'm going for. Almost kind of like a cold, sterile feel, like very serious. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is, my Tomorrowland presented by BNL actually takes place after the Axiom, which is that big ship that they're living on uh, when the Earth is inhabitable. Right. Uh, when the Axiom lands back onto Earth and they've actually rebuilt and started growing plants. And so um, it's very sterile and cold and very, you know, industrial, white, very serious. But um, that's not the focal point of the land. And this kind of goes back to the original Tomorrowland idea. So with my Tomorrowland presented by BNL, I want it to be lush with color. So essentially the entire land is white. It's very shiny, very clean, very modern white. And the plants and the flowers all over are a huge part of the color that's constantly brought to the guest's attention. And I think that's really cool, too, because obviously here in California, we don't get seasons. So I think it's really, well, we kind of get seasons, but not really. So um, <laughs> it's really important for, for the plants to be able to tell you what season you're in. And I, I right. think that's a really strong point. Uh, that Disney has with their horticulture team. I think their plants are absolutely amazing. They're constantly switching them out. So that's a huge part of this theme for me. And Wasn't so, there an aspect of Tomorrowland where all of the vegetation was maybe at one time um, all edible? Like right. All of the vegetation in Tomorrowland was edible? Yes, that's I mean, a good that's call like out. The ending, the ending of Wally is like they yeah. sort of relearn how to grow plants. That that fits perfect. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's kind of that that old feel that I was looking for with the historical Tomorrowland, but kind of just presented by a new company. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so. I'll go into the the first attraction. I did two too, um, but I'll go through okay. this one really quickly. So the the ride that I'm looking to reskin is 
currently known as Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. And everybody knows that that ride has been pretty aged, especially since Midway Mania came out um, with the 3D glasses. Everybody, you know, pointing shooting lasers is not as fun as Midway Mania, which is, you know, all 3D. So um, this new ride I've come up with is called Robot Mayhem. And there's a particular scene in WALL-E where all of the uh, broken robots go rogue. And they, they show pictures of Eve and WALL-E. Uh, all over the Axiom in front of people's, you know, screens uh, saying rogue robots. So essentially, this is a mix between Astro Blasters and Midway Mania. Um, and the ride to vehicles are going to be designed kind of like EVE. So kind of in the in the same sterile environment, but um, it's going to be taking place inside of a maintenance bay. And so your job is to essentially go around the maintenance bay in your ride vehicle and um collect rogue robots that have gone crazy inside of the maintenance bay and zap them with a control beam. Um, and whoever has the most robots under control at the end of the ride wins. And the loser uh, has basically gets a consequence. So anyone that loses gets a startling vibration under their seat. So the, the winner gets to choose basically whether it's a startling vibration or whether they're going to get sprayed in the face with uh, some water uh, with the paint smell. I'm thinking kind of that same paint smell that you get from Radiator Springs Racers when you get resprayed mm -hmm. by Ramon. So uh, yeah. that's that's my first attraction. I think that'll be super fun. And the, the robots going rogue is probably one of my favorite scenes uh, in that whole movie. So that's the first attraction. I love the idea of punishing uh, losing in a round. <laughs> yeah, because that's oh, one of the so things cool. that I wish that we could do uh, on Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters. You know, you just want to go up to the person next to you and be like, loser, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically in this ride, you'll be able to choose what kind of, you know, light punishment mm -hmm. or embarrassment they sure. get when they lose. So it's, it's an incentive to win... Um, more than just a score, definitely. Yeah. And being called a space ranger. More than bragging rights. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so that's my first attraction. And then uh, one of the other things I wanted to do was a restaurant, right? So we said uh, we were mm -hmm. going to do a restaurant. So once again, I've left the bones of Tomorrowland, and I've decided that the uh, restaurant that I wanted to redo was uh, Pizza Port, which is now called mm -hmm. Alien Pizza Planet. So... Yep. Uh, in my world of Wally, -E, it would be called Pizza Garden. And the whole point of that is in the movie, the captain says multiple times uh, when he's learning about Earth and the history of Earth that you can grow things like vegetables and pizza. So I thought Pizza Garden was a really great way to show kind of how um, inexperienced everyone is uh, when they came back to Earth. And so I was thinking <laughs> it would be a pizza sign. And then with a vine underneath, and then it would have a bud. And when the bud blooms, it's a pizza instead of a flower. So kind of like uh, that. Yeah. I thought That's that was great. really great. Um, and then one of the things is, uh, you know, obviously it's very popular nowadays to go to a restaurant and build your own pizza. So instead of build your own pizza, I've decided to call it grow your own pizza. Um, mm -hmm. And then also one of the other really, um, one of the things in the movie that they talk about a lot is the ability to drink your meal. So it'll be like breakfast in a cup. So I decided, you know what's really great? Let's do desserts in a cup. So you'll be able to slurp up your dessert, probably like a shake or something, um, yeah. 
with a slice of cake in it or something, you know, something great like that. Um, and then one of the things about the land that I really wanted to push forward was the fact that we have come back, you know, to an earth that was really left in ruins. And so kind of going back to the main theme of the land, I would like it to be super sustainable. So everything in the land is very sustainable. Um, all the plates, bowls, cutlery, cups, all that stuff is biodegradable, which I think is really important. And then one of my favorite things is the guests should be rewarded for doing that. So in the restaurant, um, we're going to have little trash cans, but they're going to be like little robots. And, and their name is going to be Pushy. So kind of like Wall-E, but Push-E. And mm -hmm. uh, that's also kind of like a callback to back in the day when Tomorrowland had a little trash can robot named Push that would go around and talk with guests. So I like the idea of having Push-E. And then whenever a customer throws something away or recycles something, uh, they get a little bit of a of a little, a little bit of a, a, an animation or, or some sort of speech from that trash can. Mm -hmm. um, and I would like the character to be kind of pushy. <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> yeah. a play on words. So, um, yeah, so that is my restaurant. Uh, moving outside of the restaurant, in the middle of Tomorrowland, there's this thing called the Observatron. Now, if you guys don't know what the Observatron is, it used to be the actual ride mechanism for rocket jets before they canceled it and made the new Astro Orbiter at the front of Tomorrowland. So uh, what's there now is essentially some satellite dishes and I couldn't even tell you the last time they've moved. Um, so I thought that was a really great element that's probably pretty, you know, integral to the center of Tomorrowland or else they would have removed it by now. So I thought it'd be yeah. really great. The whole thing is we're trying to to sell that uh, the plants are the future, everything's sustainable. We're trying to take care of our planet. So uh, instead of the Zervatron just being satellite dishes, I would like it to actually have water spouts. So as it spins, it'll actually be watering a planter beneath it that doubles as a kid's soak zone. Uh, and then at oh, the very, nice. yeah, then at the very top, uh, there is a little satellite dish that used to open at the end. And instead of sending yeah. a transmission, I would like it to be um, uh, like bringing in energy, absorbing energy from the sun. I think that would be really cool. And it kind of tells that story again um, as, to, as, as to the theme of the land and sustainability. Yeah, like a big old floral solar panel. That's right. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Just absorbs the sun's energy, just like a solar panel. You're absolutely right. Um, so, and then my last thing, I, I'm, I did two rides. I know we're only supposed to do mm -hmm. an additional attraction, but I did two. That's um, yeah. I think most people will be pretty happy about this one. I want to bring back essentially the people mover. Yes. I was hoping you'd say that as soon as you said Tomorrowland, I was like, we got to use those people mover tracks. Yeah. I know that it. I know that you you guys know that I'm a huge fan of Rocket Rods, but for this specific Tomorrowland, I think the People Mover works perfectly, and I don't want it to be the experience that we've had this whole time. So instead of entering uh, at essentially where um, Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters is now, because it's going to be a ride still, I'd like to move the load platform over to the upstairs of Innoventions. Now, um, for those of you who don't know what Innoventions is, it's a rotating building that used to be the Carousel of Progress underneath, and then up top, 
that's actually where all the extra rocket rod cars used to be parked and dispatched and taken off the track. So it's actually a perfect place to do a load platform uh, so that guests can enter. But the idea is that they would enter downstairs. I'd like the, the spinning part of the lower building to almost look like if you've seen Wally -E, at the end, there's post scene credits. Uh, there's like little animations of them essentially planting trees and teaching the kids how to farm. And it's, it's really cool. But I would like to show that story, but with a Mary Blair type of mural that spins. Mm -hmm. And then um, one of my favorite parts is that once you get loaded onto the platform, you're going to be introduced to an autonomous robot that's going to kind of be your guide. And his name is R.O. So, but he goes by Tom. So... Very nice. If you, if you get it, you like get it. like what you're doing. Yeah. Yep. yep. Like um, and of course, he'd be voiced by Nathan Lane because who else would be the voice of RO, a.k.a. Tom? Okay. So yes. uh, he leads you into the center of the building. Uh, and then in the center of the building, I would like to actually um, pay tribute to the Circle Vision Theater. But in this case, I would love to have a Circle Vision uh, observatory. So it would be like stars and space all around you. And they kind of tell you the story before they landed back on earth and what it was like living in space. Um, and then of course you get brought upstairs to load the, the, the ride vehicle and the ride vehicle is actually a axiom transport. So in the movie, they actually enter onto these vehicles that run on a on a light of line basically like a, a line of light and they follow that line um and the only difference is that you'd be sitting on one of those lazy boy chairs <laughs> that they have in the axiom that everybody at the end of the movie falls off of because they can't walk um but i would like the idea of that being a 360 degree spun seat so that it's a little bit more uh direct because when you're on people mover you can kind of just look wherever you want. But in this case, we'd want to mm -hmm. control where the guests want to look. And so you'd sure. enter Innoventions, you'd go, and it would, exp the, of course, the voiceover would be Tom the whole time. Um, and he would take you through Autopia, the entire track, and then you'd enter um, the uh, Robot Mayhem, uh, like I was saying, or yeah. Yeah, you'd enter Robot Mayhem, and then you'd go through the heart of Tomorrowland, where you used to load. And of course, you'd be under that new Observatron that would be watering all the plants beneath and be able to wave at everybody beneath you. And then one of my favorite things is after that, you'd make your way back to the front of Tomorrowland and into the old Star Tours building. Star Tours, in my opinion, still going to live there. I loved, I love Star Tours. Uh, but the difference is that it's going to be doing a voiceover that's explaining... Um, futuristic travel and uh things th places you can go in the future uh space mm -hmm. and one of my favorite things would be that it would show you an ad that would be the axiom sea voyager which is clearly a disney cruise ship that just has axiom on it <laughs> that's kind of like an ad easter egg because we all know disney loves selling us those disney cruise ship yep. uh advertisements um, before you make your way through Space Mountain and back into the building. So that's kind of my pitch. I hope you that's like it. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's super cool. I really yeah, love that I, movie. I, I mean, I can totally imagine that, like, that the existence of 
a post-Axiom, by and large, Tomorrowland would, of course, promote space tourism. So, right. like, you sort of canonize Star Tours into just regularity, which is Exa- fantastic. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And, and the only thing that it's doing is it's just taking you through a ride of mm-hmm. all the things that we already know and love in Tomorrowland and adding them into the story. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I think probably my favorite element is that you took something that was like really, you know, it's unavoidable from Wally, the Barco lounger chair, that thing. It's just like you can't not remember that from the movie. Right. And then you integrated it so gracefully into something that already existed and is going to like scratch the itch of old time fans and kind of like, you know, delight people whether or not they've seen the movie. You sort of like hit the perfect uh, Venn diagram point where you get everyone with with just a feature of a ride, not even the ride itself, just the feature. Yeah, yeah, I really well done. I, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that one. Uh, and like I said, the second I watched the movie, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so perfect. And I think it really does go in line. Um, th- the way I would kind of explain it is, it's kind of like um, the ride uh, Living with the Land in. Orlando, yeah. kind of like the futuristic, yep. where they're showing you about how they're do, making advancements in agriculture and how it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. that's kind of that's what our future generations want. Like the focus yeah. is so hard on sustainability and making sure that we take care of our planet. And I think Wally is just such a great vessel to get that message out there. Yeah, living with the land is a great call out because it gives you a really unique opportunity to blur the line between like science fiction and uh, bleeding edge science reality. Right. You know, they have all these, uh, you know, vertically grown uh, crops that they don't need any soil and it takes up a lot less space because you're using a third dimension instead of just two dimensions. Right. They're using fish to fertilize things. And like, it, it's really neat because you're seeing it and you're like, wow, I had no idea that there was technology in farming, you know? Right. You don't really think about that. And then this really showcases and educates you in, a, in that sort of classic Epcot edutainment way. And I think that's really what your Tomorrowland brings is edutainment, which really hasn't been seen since the ending of Innoventions. That's true. Yeah. 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 I love it. Nicely done, man. Nicely done. But um, as much as I like mine, I, I know you've been working on yours for a while. So let's hear it. Yes, I have been working on mine for a while. So I wanted to take on a land that isn't in a Disney park. Uh, Not because I think all Disney parks are untouchable and amazing. I actually had uh, kind of like back of the napkin scratched out how I would redo Dinoland USA as um, an Indiana Jones themed area. But I got more excited at the idea of... um, of redoing the Lost Continent in Islands of Adventure. Islands of Adventure being the sister park to Universal Studios Orlando. And with the recent opening, I think like two, three, four days ago, as of this recording, uh, the recent opening of Super Nintendo World, I wanted to use a Nintendo IP to retheme the Lost Continent. And the perfect overlap, the perfect way to make this happen was using The Legend of Zelda. So yes. Legend of Zelda is, you know, the, the green guy with the sword and the shield. He fights Ganondorf. He rides a horse, shoots a bow and arrow. You know, it's, it's like perfect exploratory fantasy, you know, the whole nine. And I was like, wow, this would fit 
perfectly. And uh, it's interesting that you left a lot of the bones of your Tomorrowland in your new Tomorrowland. I was able to do the same thing, and I think that that really helps accelerate your creativity. So I'll give you um, my walk around, you know, the sort of like lay of the land. Um, as you walk in from from Seuss Landing, uh, you walk over the bridge onto the Lost Continent Island, and you come into uh, a big griffin statue. Well, in my land, this statue would now be of the hero of time, of Link, the main character who you play as, a statue of the hero of time, and... Um, and then you turn the corner and the first thing that you see in the land is actually a restaurant. It's kind of weird that that's how this land is designed, but the first thing that you see when you turn that corner is Mythos, which is my favorite restaurant in a theme park in, uh, in any universal, um, universal property. So the first thing that we're going to do is retheme Mythos. And my favorite Zelda game is the Ocarina of Time. So we're going to use Mythos as the Temple of Time, which is where Link goes and retrieves the Master Sword. Right. So this is going to be like a moss-covered, sort of dilapidated stone building. Um, just on the other side of it, you have the big lagoon that, uh, that centers Islands of Adventure. So I'm thinking that we can put some boats. Uh, there's, there's a really neat boat that's uh, called the King of the Red Lions. It sort of looks like Viking-esque, although it's not like... A Viking setting, but it's a, a lion head at the front and sort of like a magic endowed uh, boat. Cool. Put that out there just as a little Easter egg. Um, and then you enter into the Temple of Time to dine. So this can be kind of just themed up to the nines and in the same way that like the three broomsticks and some of these other locations are um, are themed. The right. really important elements here would be that you have the uh, um, the three stones that are used as the key to open the door of time, uh, and then that you have the master sword, be it in its pedestal or just an empty master sword um, pedestal. You know, it's just something to sort of set the mood, set the uh, the sort of like medieval, uh, broken down, ancient ancient uh, building. Right, and um, you know, to, to be able to serve, you know, your nice cuisine. The Mythos is like a nice, like, top five restaurants uh, in theme parks in the world kind of a place. So, like, very nice food, high-quality food. Um, but I was also thinking of some fun. Um, this is more, <laughs> I got inspired by the blue milk a little bit here. But going to a red and blue potion, which in our game Ooh. is to refill hearts and refill magic. Yes. But to do a red and blue potion in a little, uh, you know, what looks like a little glass jar with a big cork on the top, uh, that that would be like one of the little specialty uh, beverage items you can get around the area. Oh, that's awesome. Anyways, that's just our, uh, that's just our sort of mainstay restaurant. There'd be other like booths and stuff where you can pick up these little things. I was thinking because you pick up hearts to heal yourself throughout the game to do some kind of like a maybe like a hearty either a biscuit or a cookie or something that's in a shape of a heart that you would just be able to pick those up around kiosks and stuff. And oh, I love that, that. would be a, a fun that's little great. way to integrate yourself into the game. You know, re refuel your hearts. Um, right. So we come out of the restaurant and the next thing that you see in, um, in the lay of the land uh, as it is, 
you see this giant trident and a, a stone arm holding this trident, like 20 feet tall. Right, uh, And huge. this is the, the attraction Poseidon's Fury. Have you done Poseidon's Fury? I haven't. And to be honest, I, I've only been to Islands of Adventure once. I'm hoping to change that. But huh. I do I do remember yeah. have the, the big trident. Definitely. Yes. So it... In my opinion, this is an underrated attraction like no other. I mean, it's a really cool, really unique experience. And so I wanted to use that as the basis for my Cornerstone attraction. Okay. Um, but we're going to actually walk by it because I'm going to talk more about it later. So um, as you continue walking, you go into kind of like a bazaar area. So this works perfectly for a giant marketplace. Uh, and I wanted the marketplace to have three sort of generalized areas. Uh, the first one would be a very, uh, you know, fantasy medieval castle style market. You know, the normal village that you uh, in the game would run around and right. get a new shield and um, buy more arrows. And in the game, and so in this park, we would have uh, challenge games like how many times can you hit um, an arrow, uh, hit a target with an arrow. You get little prizes and so forth. Um, having little experiences that really mirror the game, uh, the challenges within the game. There are um, fishing, um, like fishing challenges and things like that. So pretty like carnivalized. I don't want it to just straight up be like the the carnival games that you see in like the Simpsons Land or anything. Right. Uh, but to to make it like really cool and really befitting of that environment. Something that uh, fans have would probably want to do in real life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think the archery one is the go-to one because there's been lots of like, um, lots of ways to make you know like the Wii controller into a bow and arrow, and right. so I think that would be pretty popular. And being able to like really zone into that and how to make that the coolest thing possible. I mean, it could just very well be like the shooting range in uh, Frontierland, just with arrows. You right. Know? Right. And, and that it and that you'd actually pull something back. There would be like a string effect or a spring effect, I should say, to the string. But it wouldn't actually be shooting an arrow. It's just a, you know, a laser sight at a dot. And, and that's your that's, that's cool. Your shot. That's cool. I like so that. So it keeps everyone safe. It keeps the throughput happening. No one runs <laughs> out of arrows. And no one shoots their eye out. Right. That's great. Um, so as as we continue walking, we get more into the uh, into a little bit rockier, a little bit more gritty area. And this is the introduction of the first um, race of creature that you encounter, uh, which is the Gorons. The Gorons are rock people. They are made of rock and they live in volcanoes typically. They eat rocks and they are sort of uh, rock-like in their physicality. Right. So you'd get to encounter some of these creatures along the way and you'd see uh, not only does the environment change a little bit as you continue walking around, but you see uh, different wares and different um, challenges. In particular, the Gorons value strength. So I was thinking it'd be really cool if you had like some kind of uh, a lifting or even just like um, the the classic swing the hammer, but it's like a really awesome Zelda-fied <laughs> hammer. Yeah, uh, swing the hammer, hit the thing at the top. I don't know. I just thought that uh, that bringing in those sorts of like classic things with um with the appearance of this game would really be cool yeah and then you continue walking and then you find yourself in a forest this is the lost woods the lost woods is actually where uh, link comes from uh in ocarina of time 
And uh, so you see some of his sort of fairy companions. They're basically like other sort of human-esque but pointy-eared um, little guys and gals in green tunics, and they're running around, they're doing their thing. And the sort of thing at the end of, of this whole path in this forest is a giant tree in this giant Deku tree. Um, the great Deku tree is an important figure, um, but we're going to use him as an attraction because he is going to talk to you. He's going to interact with you. Ah, cool. And where I'm going to put this great Deku tree is currently in place of a fountain that talks to you. So there is actually a fountain that there's a, a voice actor and there's a camera and a whole setup so that they can just talk to you through this fountain. Oh, so cool. I'm just going to superimpose this effect into the great Deku tree. He doesn't need to be animated, doesn't need to be anything too fancy, maybe some lighting effects, some cool things like that. Mm -hmm. I'd love it if the um, if the branches could shake um, right. based on some input or something like that. But, I mean, it would basically be a giant, giant puppeteered tree. Wow. And that would be kind of my, um, you know, my little secondary attraction. Um, I've purposely skipped over the primary attraction. So we've visited our Gorons. We've visited our um, our Kokiri um, folks in the Lost Wood. And then the last um, major race that you see from this game that I think would work perfectly in Poseidon's Fury or in the building of Poseidon's Fury is the Zora people. The Zora people are a fish people. Okay. So wrapping back around, we've got um, Zora's Domain is this sort of palace. It's very ornate. There's lots of stairways, and it's kind of like uh, opalescent. It's like mirrored, and it's just very fancy, very... Uh, it's like where the royal family of the Zora people live. So this is the facade to our main attraction. Ah. This is in the place of where Poseidon's Fury is. So you walk inside, and um, the idea behind Poseidon's Fury, for those who don't know, uh, and Drew, for you as well. <laughs> yeah, me. You're basically going into a, a, a dig site. And oh. so you walk into a, a fairly dark room, and an actor comes in, a, you know, a, a, a team member comes in, an actor, who says, hey, we're just waiting on so-and-so. They'll be here in a minute. So you guys just hang out here. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get started, I don't know, a couple of minutes. And then the show effects begin and that's when the show actually starts. And so it's this whole thing of like this sort of like accidental tour guide host is bringing you around these various uh, buildings, uh, various rooms in this giant show building to give you this awesome experience. Tying that back into Zelda, one of the most important things in Zelda is um, puzzle solving. And so right. what I wanted to do was integrate puzzle solving into this attraction where you're, you are guided by a team member. Um, I couldn't really figure out a way around that because if you don't, fast, if you don't pass a, a puzzle, you can't just pause the game and go grab a sandwich. <laughs> you're stuck in a building. Right. So you have to have someone to like keep the momentum, keep the pacing up. Right. Um, so I wanted to have this host with you, but I also wanted to have a character host as well and there's a little assistant in um in the legend of zelda named navi like navigation but navi uh and she's a little fairy and she is um famous or infamous depending on 
uh, depending on your perspective, for saying, hey, listen, look, and shaking and kind of like giving you hints and clues okay. sometimes when you need them and sometimes when you don't want them. Uh, but mm. she's the guide through the game to say like, hey, here's what you need to do. Uh, and, and in particular, we'll go and target in on um, important, interesting areas. So to use a combination of a projector of Navi on the various areas where you need to look or interact or say a key phrase, something like that, and progress your way through these various rooms. So the, uh, the second to last room uh, opens up doors and the coolest effect and the one that you need to do, Drew, like you need to do this ride just for this reason, uh, <laughs> it's not open right now because of pandemic restrictions, but okay. once it opens, I mean, at least watch a video. Uh, you get to walk through this 20-foot hallway of water. And it's this water tube yes. that's going around and around. I have seen miles that. Per hour. I have seen that. And it's I, amazing. I thought that has to be in Zora Domain. That has to be a key part of getting you to this end. So you progress your way through. You solve a few puzzles here and there. Um, you know, you're learning about the Triforce. You're learning about the Hero of Time, who you're going to encounter in the end, and and his struggle for. Uh, um, you know, for like peace or war. So you get to go through this ginormous tunnel. I want to keep that just as it is. I, I mean, maybe maybe spruce it up with some additional lighting effects. Such a but, cool effect um, as is. I completely agree. Yeah, I think and I think the moment that the doors open, you get the classic Zelda chime, the the puzzle chime, the da 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 do 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 doors open, you get to go through the thing. So the final room, and um I'm gonna I'm going to spoil this ride for you, Drew. I hope it's okay. It's a 30-year-old ride. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you're in a room, and you're, like, face-to-face with a wall. And you're kind of like, okay, well, like, what, what, what's going on here? And so the guide comes in, does this and that, and the, the room goes completely pitch black. And when the lights come back on, the wall has fallen away, and you're in an enormous show building. And at the end is a giant projection effect show. Oh, and there's cool. um, water effects and there's fire and there's projections. These projections have not aged particularly well. Uh, <laughs> so okay. giving this a little bit of world of color love would go a long, long, long way. Got it. But being able to showcase a battle between Link and Ganondorf using, um, using those various effects, uh, there's a... There's a like mainstay item of like the the royalty of the light arrow, and so being able to use a light arrow, which could literally just be a laser, like a yellowish laser, yeah, uh, being able to use that incorporated into the story would really round things out in a way that would be like just the right amount of fan service while also just being fun to watch if you've never played the game, never known about this property whatsoever, right. And eventually the hero overcomes the villain, saves the day. You exit the attraction through the gift shop. But that is my idea for the cornerstone attraction, is to really basically just retheme and and do some touch-up work, but not really much has to change. It's mostly a change of effects technology. Um, I don't really think that there would even be a, a wall that gets broken down. Yeah. In, in the case of that, in the case of that. Well, before before I get into the similarities of the way we approached retheming a land, um, 
I love the idea that you're bringing the guests into the land and being a character instead of just somebody who's visiting, right? I feel like so often we enter lands and they tell us that we're in this land and we're part of the story, but you don't really get to do very many of the things that these characters get to do. And so your land, like I love, I love that little detail about like the the two different colored potions as well as like eating the little heart, uh, you know, I, I just love little details like that, that make, um, the, the, the people experiencing it feel like they're actually the character and it's all the familiar places that they've already been mm-hmm. in the game. It's so rich too, like picking, uh, an IP from Nintendo because their lands are so incredible and so rich yeah. that when you get to step inside of them, I mean, like even just, the Nintendo land in Tokyo that just opened. I mean, like it's incredible. It's incredible. And I can yeah. only imagine the amount of ideas like your pitch that are going to actually become something. And then you'll be able to actually step into that world for the first time. I, I just, I love that. And I love that our similarities are that we're basically using existing bones of a land and simply just making it themed uh, to today. Um, mm-hmm. especially attractions that didn't really have any IP or theme. Uh, so I, I think yeah. that's really cool. In choosing a land in particular, this, this I agree was like the toughest part was like, where do you start? Right. And so the, my headspace for where I started was like, what is something that I'm kind of feeling like it's either a lackluster landing you know like they didn't quite stick the landing with lost continent to me uh they didn't quite stick the landing with Tomorrowland and the way that it's aged right but a couple of like small adjustments can really go a long way so that you don't have to do what a bug's land happened <laughs> you know you don't have to do the complete like reset brand new white page and let's build up from there right you can take what works and emphasize it definitely you can add add story to it add experiences on top of it and add i mean in in both of our examples add what three four plus decades of development of theme parks have have sort of learned right in the development of theme parks you learn what people expect you learn what people enjoy and you learn how the technology can support that and deliver and I also think that as a designer, it's really difficult to introduce something new that is uh, taking over the place of something that is really loved by a lot of mm-hmm. people. Like everybody's going to love a certain aspect of something. So um, I, I love, I, I just love that you're still giving that people that that Poseidon's Fury experience that they love. By the way, I also love that there's a uh, like a team member that leads you through it. I, yeah. I'm going to have to definitely look up uh, a video on that attraction. Cause obviously we can't go right now, but I, I hope that yeah. by the time I do get to go and visit you over in Florida, that we can go experience it and I can definitely get a richer idea of, of the, of the actual experience. But I hope it stays open. I really do. I think that this ride is criminally underrated. Um, that didn't keep me from retheming it, but I think it is criminally underrated and really is deserving of, of some love. Yeah. And I think for people that know, they really enjoy it. And for people that just walk by it thinking that it's just, I, th- I think what happens all, all too often is people think it's just theming or they think that it's right. the set of a show that isn't going on at the moment. 
Right. So because there's not like a roller coaster track coming out of it, it's not really clear what it is. Or because it's not, I don't know, the Transformers building or something. <laughs> they don't really know what it is. Right, right, definitely. And I think uh, another a really important thing you know, what, what's the perfect balance of minimizing that IP and like, is the right thing to do what they did in Avengers Campus and totally just blank slate? Like, or could they have yeah. done something with Bugsland? Like, how do you change the IP and still keep your fans happy? Yeah. How do you respect what people like? I mean, I think it's it's unique to every setting. I think that Disney did a, a, a fairly good job with Pixar Pier. Yeah. Um, leaving the things that worked. Um, you know, California Screen worked. Right. Um, Maliboomer did not really work quite as well. Right. As much as I love um, that ride. Yeah. Yeah, as cool as it was. Um, well, if you, if you missed that ride, Doctor Doom's Fear Fall is basically it. <laughs> um. You know, the, the way that they were able to take the things that work and they know the things that work and they were able to do the proverbial slap a new paint job on it and emphasize what worked and add some technology to uh, to bring in some people that uh, that maybe had questions and then to excite those who had no expectations. Yeah. You know, um, adding story elements on a roller coaster and those tubes and those tunnels. Um, it seems so... It seems so interesting, but like half of that tunnel predates Incredicoaster by 20 years. Right. So I don't know, like they sort of had this idea for why, why certain things were going to work. Parenthetically, weren't those there for noise? Am I wrong? They were there for noise. Yeah, correct. Yeah. (laughs) How funny that they now are using it like, well, we'll just finish up the tunnel and put put show elements in there right and it totally works yeah. so I, yeah it, it does it's really fun and i think um you know i think we both did really great on our pitches i don't think there's necessarily a winner today uh not that there should be a winner yeah but. i don't know yeah i i mean for those at home vote who whose did you prefer which land would you rather see i mean why not both in in my opinion yeah i'd love to one see universal both. and one disney why not both um <laughs> but yeah, not only tell us which one you prefer, but also tell us what you'd like us to talk about in our next episode. Uh, we love taking uh, user suggestions and turning them into uh, into our next episodes. Definitely, and those of you who don't know what blue sky means, that's exactly what this is. Uh, it's essentially, there's no limits to anything that you can come up with. Your limit is the blue sky. So tell us what you think uh, we should do next. I would love to hear your guys' ideas on uh, both um, on my pitch and Aaron's pitch, uh, maybe some adjustments that we left out. Um, but other than that, I think, uh, I think we yeah. did a great pitch today. Uh, do cool. you have anything else, Aaron? No, nah, man. Awesome. Great episode. Yeah. Great to see you. Great to chat with you as always. You too. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, make sure, like we said, to leave uh, a like and a comment below as to what you would change, what land you'd pick, and uh, make sure to subscribe to the channel too. Uh, that way you can get notified for all the videos that we post and see of the all the cool things that we come up with. All right. We'll catch you in the next one. See ya.
really funny that you bring up Dynamite USA because that was the other contender that I had. <laughs> and I yeah. I specifically watched The Good Dinosaur in the hopes that it would mm-hmm. maybe spark something within me for Dino Land, but um, yeah. I had to go I had to go with Tomorrowland. Of course, of course the hardest one, right? By the way, my 30-second pitch on um, Dinoland USA is to keep the dig site elements, but make it a giant archaeological dig site for Indiana Jones. Yeah. And then you just make Dinosaur into what it should be, an Indiana Jones adventure ride. That might be a good next episode, Aaron. Hey, mm. hey. Break out our <laughs> fedoras and whips. <laughs> <laughs>